catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and today we're in downtown Columbus at Elbow Room with the owner, Rob Swindle. And man, Rob, it's great to have you on, brother. Man, thanks for having me. Yeah. And so today we're just going to talk a little bit about the Elbow Room. It has quite the history, and on top of that, we're going to delve into the comic book world, and we're also going to talk a little bit about music because Rob does a wonderful job of getting not only locally sourced music, but he, he books outside of town, too. Recently had a band all the way out from California. But anyway, Rob, just uh, to give a little history on the Elbow Room, and that's kind of the reverence to, of it to me, is the circa 1952. Yeah, uh, we were originally told when we bought the place, when we opened it, it was uh, open around 1952. But we've come to realize it might be a little bit later, probably the second half of the 50s when it was actually mm-hmm. open. We don't have a definite date, but um, still very historic bar it was originally the OK Sandwich Shop the building was built in 1941 but it was the OK Sandwich Shop for years it was one storefront back in the 70s they bought out the, the storefront next to them the building has two as you, you can see uh, two individual halves that were mm-hmm. two separate storefronts I think it was 1975 or 76 they bought out the other build or the other half of the building and uh, popped a couple of holes in the wall and doubled the size of the bar, which is still a very small bar. You know, you're talking 1,250, 1,300 square feet tops yeah. in here. That's including bathrooms, storage closets, everything, you right. know, entire square footage. So a very small bar, but it's had a lot of history. A now deceased gentleman by the name of John McClanahan, he was uh, by far, <laughs> probably, I would say, the most interesting person I've ever had the privilege of meeting he um, back in the 80s he never owned it but he was a daily regular here and he had a dog named Buckshot who um, would fetch beers it was Buckshot the bartending dog he should have been on the Dosaki commercial right yeah yeah why not Um, (laughs) unfortunately the dog died and I think 1987 he got hit by a car outside the bar Mm. that dog would uh, they, they had an old mechanical refrigerator, you know, the one with the, the handles that you, know, you have to pull out, the old style that they banned because I, I guess for some reason kids were getting trapped in these refrigerators. I don't know what kids are doing in refrigerators, but yeah, <laughs> apparently they banned uh, that style of refrigerator because of that. But um, yeah, there was one in the back corner, and it, it, that dog would, you know, it, as long as you ordered a Budweiser, it's filled 
just with Budweiser's. As long as you ordered a Budweiser, they, and that dog was here at the time, they would send it back there to open the fridge, grab a beer, bring it to the customer, and they would even they would even uh, take the money to the bartender That's and bring back change and everything. And I never, well, I I had the privilege of meeting John McClanahan before he died. I never met Buckshot, but you know they would say you know Buckshot would come lay the the, the can on the bar sideways and. John would tell him, no, you set that beer up right, and the dog would pick it up and correct the position of the beer so it's in front of somebody. And um, as a matter of fact, right behind me on the wall by the, right beside the door uh, is a National Geographic magazine. Yeah. In June of 1986, it's an article, a page article all about Buckshot, the dog, and the elbow room. There you go. They were in People magazine. They were known internationally. People were coming from Canada to come see this dog. David Letterman, you know, with the stupid pet tricks, yeah. tried to get John McClanahan to bring Buckshot on the show. And John's response was, you got to change the name of the show because there's nothing stupid about my dog. Yeah. You know, it's a trick, but it's not stupid. Yeah. This dog is smarter, smarter dog. than most kids I know. Yeah. John was an extremely interesting man. And, yeah, he helped, I guess you could say, put this bar on the map. Also, in the 80s, they had a... A lot of good music. This bar made it onto the Mississippi Blues Trail, which we were still a part of. Son Thomas was a old Delta blues musician, and he played a role by him playing here and hanging out in here. You know, during times where he wasn't necessarily playing, really helped give this bar a reputation as a blues bar, as a music bar. Mm-hmm. A lot of blues musicians maybe not of his caliber some maybe were actually got their nicknames because you know every blues musician has to have a nickname eventually if they're worth a damn several of them got their names in this bar you know that's awesome there was one I'm trying to think of the name they referred to him as Spoon Man he got his name sitting in this bar yeah so a lot of history uh, that that's I (laughs) you know it, it I find it a little bit intimidating, especially when I first opened one. How am I going to compare? Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I don't want to be an owner that uh, people go, oh, they've just ruined the name of this bar. It's not what it used to be. I, there were aspects of it I really wanted to change. It had gotten kind of a bad reputation over the past several years, uh, especially throughout the very late 90s. I would say the second half of the 90s and into the 2000s. It had kind of gotten a seedy reputation. And I wanted to change that, but I wanted to... As a musician myself, I really wanted to keep the music aspect of it alive, mm-hmm. but not necessarily be a blues bar, but a music bar. And we've we, we have blues in here. We have open country. Mic we have open mic. And our yeah, we love our open mics here. And we get some good musicians. We've we've had musicians come in from two hours away to play our open mic nights. That impressed me. I couldn't believe that. I haven't made it up here for an open mic night yet. I'm usually working on that night, but uh, everything that I've heard just from friends that have played it is like it is a room full of other musicians, yeah. and we're all after the same goal. We're trying to be better, and if there's, you know, it's not a place where you're going to be judged, but there you there could be critical. Yeah, and we do get, we, we, we have uh, seasoned musicians play open mic as well as, you know, beginner musicians, and I'm really really proud of our musicians here our senior guys will uh, or you know veteran musicians will kind of take the new guys under their wings Mm -hmm. give them pointers I can't 
count how many have come in here and be like, you know, this guy's got some really good stuff. He knows how to play guitar. But one of the common problems with new musicians, singers in particular, are is microphone control. You know, when you sing higher, louder, you know, a lot of times you sing louder when you hit higher notes, and they don't know to pull away from the microphone, right. so they end up screaming into this microphone that's two inches from them as if they're singing softly too and so yeah learning things like microphone control learning timing a lot of musicians come in here they know the chord progressions they you know they know the songs but their timing's off come in here and practice man start playing with other musicians that forces you to improve upon your timing right you know playing alone doesn't you know you need to get your timing right but it doesn't force you into that yeah even playing along with a record after you cut the record off and you start playing by yourself you're gonna either faster or slower yeah you're not gonna be on but yeah coming in on the the wrong beats exiting on the wrong beats uh changing chords too quickly you know when you start playing with others that becomes a really a more important issue so yeah we'll have senior musicians come up and play with the new guys it really helps them I, I like the fact that several musicians who are out there, you know, kind of getting gigs now, basically got their start here, right here, you know, and it, it, it's it makes me feel good. It makes our other musicians feel good that these guys are really branching off and doing their own thing now. Mm-hmm. And five years ago, it's like they knew nothing <laughs> you know yeah. I know uh, we recently sat down with Lance Cooper in the right moves here from the show and yeah some great guys talking to him he's like love playing at the elbow room and for some of us that's where we were cutting teeth yeah and just remembering and going back to that scene is like we could play here and it's nice to come here because you've got a lot of the equipment you already need yeah you know I being a very small bar as we were saying earlier you know, square footage is tiny uh, we don't have the budget that a lot of the bigger bars have and so one of the things I do to make it easier for the musicians is I, I try to, you know, I have a full PA system here. I have microphones. Basically, if you're, especially if you're an acoustic musician, you can just walk in, plug in your guitar, set your sound and go. You know, you don't have to lug around 300 pounds worth of music equipment just to play here. And I, I've had a lot of musicians go, you know, you don't pay as well, but we prefer playing here because it's so easy. We just walk in, set up. When we're done, we tear down, walk out, you know, just with a guitar, yeah. and that's pretty much it. So I, I try to compensate my inability to pay them what they're worth, what I truly think they're worth, by making it easy. Because as a, you know, a gigging musician myself in the past. I know how big of a pain in the ass it can be. Especially with drum sets, right? Oh, yeah. I, well, I started off as a drummer years ago. Yeah. But, yeah, drums, drummers and electric guitarists and stuff, you know, because not only have you carry out your guitar, but your your amplifiers yeah, and everything. 600-watt amp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I, I, I like to promote. I like to give upcoming bands a shot. I like to give out-of-town bands more exposure if that's what they're looking for. You know, as long as they can agree on a slightly diminished a paycheck from it all you know if if they will agree on what i can afford to give them in exchange for cool environment and an easy setup Mm -hmm. process you know and a a lot i've been amazed at how many bands are like yeah you know i don't care if we get paid 75 bucks that'd be cool you know a lot of these guys are 
traveling through. They're just... It's a pit it, stop. It, it is. It's a pit stop. They, they've got gigs lined up before this, after this. And they're like, you know, we got a couple holes in our schedule to fill. Mm-hmm. We just need ma- gas money to get between the other gigs, our, our bigger gigs. And so, well, yeah, uh, you know, we can they guarantee you, you some gas money, definitely, and a good time, and some free beer and, and food, you know, so. Yeah. Can't beat that. And just with Columbus, just um, I had been gone. I moved away from the area for six years. I've been back for almost two years now. And one thing I really noticed was that the, the music culture is changing. And specifically with Jamie and the Sunstroke House, and I would say here at Elbow Room, yeah. as far as getting out-of-town gigs, and not just out-of-towners, but these are very prominent artists and bands. Absolutely. You know, Jamie's done a great job helping promote upcoming artists, getting their names out there, getting them, getting them some exposure here locally. That's not our primary focus. I, I guess we don't... I can't say necessarily I have a primary focus on music. Just our primary focus when it comes to music is just having just music. music. You know, she does try to focus on trying to get, you know, original artists, which we, we love original artists here, but we, we have a lot of cover artists too. 90% of the stuff I play when I, I gig out is cover stuff, but um, so I, I can't not cover music. You know, this used to be a a popping town, you know, great nightlife here in Columbus. It was, and I'm going back to 80s, early 90s even, and I hear 70s was really happening here. Of course, I was born in 76, so I can't really attest to that, but, you know, late 80s and first half of the 90s, they were great for live music. Mm -hmm. But over the years, it's just, it's diminished so much, and what venues are left getting live music in, a lot of them won't take a chance on an out-of-town band. I've always said, you know, I don't even care if I make money off of a band. As long as I don't, I can't really afford to lose money on a band, but I'm satisfied with just breaking even just because I like to have music. The music, you know, as long as it gets them exposure and everything, I'm, I'm completely cool with that. It's just the thrill of getting to hear music that, I don't hear all the time, and helping out musicians, supporting musicians, and I think in this area, that's something that's lacking. People around here love to talk about how there's so much talent here. Oh, there's talent everywhere you turn, there's talent, and they, they like to brag about that, but people here don't typically support live music or the arts in general, and you know, you make that I've made that statement before, and people go, oh, what are you talking about? I love going to see live music. Loving to see live music and then supporting live music are two different things. Two different things. You know, I've had, we've stood outside uh, outside the door here with uh, two and three dollar cover charges sometimes, and people turn away. And I'm like, if you won't pay, and and when we do have covers, 100% goes to the band. It's not like, oh, we're going to split it with the band. It goes specifically to the band. If you won't pay a band two dollars to hear them perform for three hours, and you, you don't cannot like live music. You might like it, but you're not supporting it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't like it enough to yeah. support it. And you know, bands don't need listeners; they need support. Yeah, they need gas money between they need gigs. They need people buying albums. They need they people, need people buying albums. They need people buying T-shirts. They they need exposures good, but 
it doesn't pay the bills. Mm-mm. And a lot of these musicians are, this is either their primary job or they've taken a hiatus at their jobs to, to, co- to come out on the road and do this. So, yeah, you know, let's, let's, show, let's throw them some appreciation. If they're going to bust their ass to bring us this stuff, luckily, all the years that I gigged, I always held down a full-time job and gigged on top of that. So I didn't need the money. So if I wanted to go out and play in a, hell, you know, I've played free gigs before. Mm-hmm. Not a not a big deal to me. Other gigs I've got I got paid really well at and appreciated the hell out of it. To me, it was more a hobby that I might get paid to do mm-hmm. uh, and have fun at. But that's that's not the case with most musicians. A lot of them, whether it's their full time job or not, or even their primary job, a lot of them really do depend on this music. So, just trying to make it. I'm trying to make it. Same with me, man. Like, but even back when I was gigging, I was holding a full-time job down. And like you said, if I got paid in beer, if I got paid in a meal, or if I got paid fifty bucks, or if I got paid a hundred fifty bucks, whatever. Yeah. It's it, fun. It was. It was just fun. Right. And I it was. It was cool that I got booked. And it got you chicks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't ignore that aspect yeah. of it, you know. Or if you're a chick musician that got you dudes you know everybody loves a musician for some reason yeah. I, I haven't really put that two and two together to figure out why everybody loves musicians but I, it, it, it's the way it is for some reason you find out some of those musician and they become somehow they more attractive place. you know yeah. like I I am not an attractive dude but uh, chicks find out I'm a guitarist like yeah, yeah. rock and play <laughs> rock and play that that dude's not good enough looking to play. <laughs> All right, well, the open mic nights, for those interested in coming out to Columbus, what nights and what time are those held? Uh, Tuesday nights, we kick them off usually at 8.30. Sometimes we might not kick it off till about 9 o'clock. It just depends on you know how early people want to play, but usually, yeah, 8.30. And we will we'll play until, until 1 o'clock in the morning sometimes. You know, a lot of it depends on how many people show up. But I really wanted to give sort of a shout out to our open mic musicians this weekend by inviting them to play at our benefit for Haley, who is she's a former bartender of ours. She had to she had to quit somewhat recently because her day job was moving her having to relocate to um, Oxford, Mississippi. So she told us she needed to leave, and you know, so we left them. When I say former bartender we left on very good terms you know and within two weeks after her last shift here her house got hit by a tornado it it didn't just get hit by a tornado it was demolished it wasn't like oh a tree ended up on top of it no she doesn't have a house anymore she's living with her parents she and her two kids i believe are living with her parents right now so yeah this past weekend we had a, a an event for her this saturday Zachary's next door to us uh, restaurant. They helped out with the food. They actually brought a big grill over and cooked the burgers for us and everything. And really appreciate that. How you know they recently had a fire, right? A kitchen fire. Yeah, they're out of business. The what September, at least. I, I, you know, I haven't heard a projection date, but I wouldn't doubt that. They they just removed uh, the roof off the building the other day. But you know, they really helped out. With the benefit, we had a few others, like all the distributors around here. Our beer distributors all donated something, whether some a keg of beer, some kind of door prizes that we were 
able to sort of raffle off. But it, it was a very successful event, and one of the things I wanted to do was showcase some of our um, loyal open mic. open mic musicians, and we had a good time. I played. We had Steve Marlowe played for us, and, and Steve is one of those guys that, you know, I believe Steve's in his mid late 60s and while he was somewhat you know knowledgeable of music prior to playing publicly this was his very first venue to get up and play in front of people wow his playing before that was all at home Mm -hmm. and you know so he was a little mic shy starting out he was you know had some timing issues and stuff like that but much better musician now after he so he's a good example of what those open mics can do yeah what, what they can do you know if nothing more than boosting confidence, you know, and, and that's that's a lot of it, you know. When yeah. you don't have the confidence, that tends to be a hurdle. It, it tends to be a distraction while you're playing. If you can get over that, that right there will improve your sound and everything. You know, we got him in there. I tried to get Charlie. Charlie was another example of somebody who I, I'm not going to necessarily say, I don't know for a fact this, this, this was his first venue to play at. I, I'm not certain about that but I will say that it was one of his first if we weren't the first and once again he's improved by leaps and bounds with music so I tried to get him in here but he couldn't get off work so we got a lady Claire Ortega she came in played some acoustic stuff mm-hmm. broke out a ukulele mm-hmm. and played it um, yeah, she's good yeah so it was a fun day we one of our bartenders he's in a couple different bands and his side project uh, by the name of Sloth, they played for about 20 minutes, and Sloth typically opens for their for for Max's primary band, which is Hartle Road, and it's a, a Goonies themed band. Uh, Sloth, you know, being the character from the Goonies. Yeah, all their music is based on is music they wrote based on the movie Goonies. And that's it, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a very cool concept and a cool sound. They're really good musicians. Very tight musicians, yeah. and it is straight up rock and roll. Uh, one of their songs, I, I unfortunately don't know the name of it, but starts and ends with them all screaming, "Hey, you guys!" Like sloth, you know. And you know, the music just kicks in yeah. loud and abusive. It's pretty. It's pretty awesome. But yeah, so I, I was glad to be able to give those guys the ability. Some of them, you know, the ability to actually play for a cause more than just coming to open mic you know yeah. of course max and his bands have toured you know so he's he's not one of those examples of us providing open mic has really made them they, they were good musicians before we i ever opened this bar and had yeah. open mic so uh we've done we made a lot of changes here over the years at elbow room you know i, I said earlier it was a historic bar but for the longest it was basically just a beer bar back in the 90s Sue Swain, who owned it, did cook hamburgers in here on, on a little hot plate in the back. Mm-hmm. Technically, she did it illegally. <laughs> you know, uh, she didn't have a food license or anything, but you know, she just made burgers for people, and people would come over from like the courthouse, you know, lawyers and stuff, because our building's positioned kind of catty corner from the courthouse here. Right. They would come over during lunch, have some burgers, and from what I heard, phenomenal burgers. I was in high school and. Up until 1994 and went in the military in 95, so I didn't spend too much time in the elbow room, although it did come in here a few times in the 90s, drank illegally, I'm sure. Yeah, because, I mean, nobody does that, right? No, no, especially back then, you know, that didn't happen. But we were the first owners to legally serve food in here. 
you know, have a class two or higher kitchen. And it's been an adventure. Our, our menu has evolved. We started out just doing like gourmet hot dogs and paninis. We still do the paninis. They're great sellers, but the fantastic hot dogs, all beef hot dogs we used to get. And I say gourmet because we had a plethora of toppings you could put on those dogs. Mm-hmm. And, and the, dog, the hot dogs themselves were huge like quarter pound all beef dogs you know right. they they put ballpark or nathan's or all that, that stuff to shame well our distributor quit carrying that brand so unfortunately you know we before went the hot dogs i'm glad we did because i'd been wanting to do pizza since the day we started serving food i just i wasn't sure how to do that here it's going back to us being so small mm-hmm. you saw me cook a pizza for you earlier and it, i mean we do it right behind on the opposite side of the bar where you're sitting we right. cook it right in front of you it's almost like a, a subway you know yeah. we prepare the food right there that's our kitchen mm-hmm. and finding commercial grade oven that was small enough to cook a pizza at high enough temperatures because you know we do a neapolitan style pizza it has to be cooked at at least 600 to 650 degrees yeah it took me forever to source an oven that would work and i finally found one and that's that's been a real game changer people do love our pizzas here and i'm I'm really proud of them so i as much as i i'd like to keep some of the wanted to keep some of the aspects of this bar the same there were definitely the things that needed to change and Mm -hmm. it, it posed a challenge sometimes the but you know probably the reputation was the biggest thing to overcome yeah, and just Columbus in itself, it has its own, and you don't want to carry that. Yeah, Columbus itself has has become not-so-great nightlife crowd. This used to be the town to come to. People would drive here from Tuscaloosa, from West Point and Starkville to come hang out and party. Columbus on the weekends, now it's just the opposite. Right. You know, people leave here to go to Tuscaloosa and Starkville. I don't, I don't think anybody leaves here to go to West Point, but... So it, it's posed a challenge, you know let's let's build up our nightlife again we have you know some of unfortunately some of the bar owners around here if if you talk to them they would like to be the only bar in town or the only restaurant in town you know they look at every other bar and restaurant as competition uh, as a competition as negative competition and i say to hell with that it's good competition Mm -hmm. it forces you to have better product but also you know nobody goes to bourbon street because there's three bars there. No. They go because there's dozens of bars. It, you know, people aren't going to come to Columbus from out of town if you're the only bar here. No. It doesn't work like but that. But you have a whole strip of bars, it's going to it's going to draw a crowd. Mm-hmm. And you know, going back to Zachary's, the restaurant/bar next to us that burned or across the street from us that burned, having both of us here on this end of the strip brought people down to this end. So when we closed for a couple months last year, when I was diagnosed with cancer, whenever we closed, that hindered their business a little bit. And now that they're closed with this fire, that's hindering our business a little bit because we're a beer bar, but we have have stuff like uh, steel tip darts that most bars don't have. We have a lot of live music that, that Zachary's doesn't necessarily have all the time. They, on the other hand, have a liquor license. So yeah, it's a good compliment. Yeah, we call it upstairs and downstairs. You know, people come in here, have a beer, and listen to music. When they want a shot, 
they walk across the street and up the steps to Zachary's, go yeah. upstairs yeah. and get a shot, come back downstairs yeah. and hang out and have more beer and listen to music. Yeah. So while we're competition, it's good competition, and it... it you almost our, compliment once you... Yeah, another. our businesses are very complimentary of each other. I, I wish more business owners would look at it from that perspective and realize that, you know, being the only game in town isn't a good thing, you know? You, you need you need to have that collective yeah. effort. At that point, you're just going to have your patrons. Yeah. And you're not oh. going to be able to grow because, like you said, like, I may start at Zachary's, but I may finish here. Right. Yeah, vice versa. You might start down at the Princess. Yeah. End up down here, vice versa, you know. You might start across town mm-hmm. and end up here. We've had people do that. Yeah. We've had people start here and... We've actually sent them to other bars, yeah. not because we didn't want their business, but because they were looking for something. They yeah. asked, "Hey, is there a bar that serves liquor? That serves liquor, or you know, if they ask for a bar that serves liquor, of course we're going to send them right over to Zachary's. It's, it's the closest and <laughs> right across the street and keeps us in our general vicinity. But you know, we used to have pool tables in here. We got rid of them as our music became more prominent. Right. So we still get some people come in every now and then that well, either cool. haven't been here forever or who've never." been here and hope that we have pool tables and they walk in and go oh man you don't have pool tables some are content with playing darts but if they really want pool hey we'll, we'll go down to the princess yeah go down to the princess they have tables or michael's michael's yeah we've sent people there um some people just come in and go man this is a little bit too collegey for us you know we won't and you can tell i i'm i don't want to sound negative when I say redneck bar, but you know, you can tell they're looking for kind of a redneck bar. You know, those bars have their place. Yeah, go down to Michael's, go out to Johnny Kelly's, you know, yeah. little biker bar out there, you know. Frankly, I've been to all these bars. I still go to them. I won't say regularly just because I don't go out regularly anymore. I'll be on a motorcycle and I'd run by Johnny Kelly's for a beer or two and continue on, you know. I, I, I still like to patronize other bars. And just about the pizza of it, like you said, is made right there in front of you. And I, I didn't know the uh, the prep time was the longest part. And after it was in that oven, it's 60, 90 seconds, and you got yourself a pizza, and it is jam up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was telling you earlier, it's good pizza is mostly about technique. And that particular pizza, you know, it, it's meant made to be cooked hot and fast a brick oven style and you know i can make that dough all day and cook it slower it will not be the same so yeah prepping it is the you know coming in on when we're closed making dough is probably the longest portion of it but uh yeah building the pizza second longest portion but actually going in the oven you know maybe 90 to 120 seconds it's out yeah and it's ready to eat but uh that was an adventure. I, I love learning new things. You know, I was in aerospace for a long time. I was in robotics for a few years. Um, I love learning new things. And so building my knowledge, my pizza dough knowledge, was really fun. It was challenging. Yeah, because like, like you said earlier, it was like a difference between cooking and baking. Yeah, I, I've cooked all my life, but I've never considered myself a baker. And while cooking is more of an art baking is way more of a science and i really had to research the science aspect of making a successful pizza dough but you know after we got the recipe down pat and the technique you know i i would venture to say we have the best pizza in town some may not agree with that some people so hey some people like bad pizza you know that's all i'm, <laughs> I'm in agreement with it right now i'm gonna say it's the best it's the best slice i've had in town so 
Moving on to some of the other things that the Elbow Room does, and this is a new venture. Now we got comics. Yeah, comic books. About 1988, I started collecting comics when I was a kid, you know, a teenager, young teenager. And it was a small passion of mine for a while that I got out of when I went in the military. Mm-hmm. I somewhat recently got back into it thanks to the local comic shop, actually in Starkville. We don't have one in Columbus, but we have The Last Page. is a comic book shop in Starkville. And when they opened, I really started getting back into the monthly, sometimes bi-monthly issues like I used to. And my best friend, who's also kind of a comic book nerd like I am, he was like, hey, man, what do you think about this? You know, selling comics in the bar? You know, yeah. I'm technically uh, on disability now, you know, with the medical issues I'm going through. So I have a lot more free time than I used to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's something to kind of take my mind off stuff and gives me something to do. It's fun. And almost every day, or at least a couple times a week, it's like Christmas. You know, a new box of comics show up on my doorstep that I ordered or went off an eBay auction or something. You know, kind of random lot of comics. And I'm going through it, you know, just seeing what all came in. And, oh, I saw this one in the picture. But, oh, I didn't even know this one was in here. And this is awesome, you know. Yeah, I didn't even know this was here. So it's, it's been an adventure. And I just love the idea of people being able to... You know, go over and buy a two or three dollar comic, or even a dollar comic, and sit at the bar and read it with a beer. Yeah. You know, have yourself a pizza, a beer, and read a comic book. You know, that's about like heaven to me. You know, yeah. that's a good concept. And just seeing like some of the memorabilia you got out here, like just out on display here. Yeah, I, I went ahead and framed some of our more rare issues or older issues, or as comic book nerds refer to them as key issues. A lot of times. Uh, first appearances and stuff like that you see we have a superman over there and it's as it happens to be the first appearance of doomsday which is the character that killed superman yeah. in the death of superman you yeah know? it's cool to go through these things and un, like a lot of times unwittingly find issues in a batch of you know ebayed comics that like man did this bird I, I got these comics for like 20 dollars for 40 comics did they even know this one comic book was in here it's worth 15 dollars alone yeah <laughs> you know right. Yeah, and so just for those just way out of town, different state, you can um, if you're interested in comics, you can find Rob and the comics that he has for sale on eBay. If you're interested in seeing some of what he has to offer, yeah, I got a few on eBay. Honestly, most of my selling here, some I sell them on Facebook locally, but yeah, I, I usually have a few kicking on eBay here and there. I will say though, there are much better websites to buy to buy get comics off of, and honestly, I mean, most collectors will know that but there's there's still that nostalgia of rifling through a box of comics you yeah. know so we get a lot of people who aren't real collectors who are used to collect and don't collect anymore and they come in and they see the short boxes and you know bins of comics and they just start rifling through they'll find one and go oh man I, I really connect to this you know like I said these are not even comic book fans basically but or comic book collectors they're just fans of the movies or something like that and they see something they like pick it up or some people buy it just for the art mm-hmm. and to me you know comic books it, it's art and so recently Marvel was ending phase 3 with their movies getting ready for phase 4 Endgame came out and I was yeah. really wanting to talk to you about your thoughts on the movie yeah and of course spoiler alert I, yeah. I don't know why but Apparently, 
people, when you start talking about a movie that just came out or a TV series that just came out, people won't just click off the audio or off that video when you start talking about it. You have to say spoiler alert. It's just one of those things. And I mean, you can have so much, you can say everything in advance and you think you've made it clear that you're about to say spoilers. But if you don't say spoiler alert, they get pissed. Yeah. So yes, spoiler alert. Let's preface that. It was an entertaining movie. I was disappointed about aspects of it. Other aspects I really enjoyed. The fact that they brought in Professor Hulk, you know, the smart mm-hmm. Hulk for the first time in cinematic history. That, that's that been something I've waited on. You know, you had the Ang Lee version, Edward Norton's Hulk. You know, you, yeah. you've had all these Hulks, and now Hulk is, while he hasn't had his own movie within... That universe. Well, I, I guess, you the know... The Brothers. Right. You know, he's this is his fourth, actually, I guess, third Avengers movie. He wasn't in... Age Voltron. No, he was. Yeah, he was. He was yeah. at. Yeah, 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 he was in Age Voltron. Uh, Iron Man but he, he was out the Hulk Buster. That's right. He was in Thor Ragnarok. So it, it's wow. He had. They, they haven't had a Hulk movie in years. He's been a. You know, he's a very prominent character in mm-hmm. the MCU, and uh, I've just been waiting on pins and needles. You know, at some point they better bring out a smart Hulk, you know? Yeah. So that was a real surprise to me, a, a pleasant surprise. But I I thought, overall, the writing, the storytelling was lacking. You know, there were several plot holes, inconsistencies, some continuity issues that, you know, almost like, I won't say as bad as, but, you know, we all know that the Star Wars prequels were... Um, Lacking, (laughs) and people had to wonder. Wait, did did George Lucas even bother to go back and watch the original trilogy before writing these? Yeah, you know, because there's so much inconsistency between the the original trilogy and the prequels. And I found this to be true with this particular movie within itself, and as it referenced the first half of the story, which was obviously time travel. Yeah, the time travel thing, it you know, they, while not getting into what the specific internal logic was that they established, you know, they do establish an internal logic and th- that movie's personal explanation of how time travel works, but at the end of the movie, they completely ignore that. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that really baffles me. I'm 100% okay, typically, with changing a story if it makes more sense or if it just provides a more interesting story and it still makes as much sense but when you change when you rewrite a story and it ends up making less sense it's bad yes why do that i don't understand they you try to make it more interesting or more compelling and it ends up not making logical sense and i think that's that's what this movie did a little bit. So I, I would say my biggest disappointment in it is the, the sheer storytelling. But at the same time, I realize that I'm a little more analytical when watching movies than a lot of people. There's tons of people out there that can simply enjoy the movie for the visual aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And if, if that's the type of person you are, go see this movie. Man, it is visually so striking. Stunning. It's unreal. But um, personally, I agree with old George Lucas who said, you know, special effects isn't what makes a movie. Special effects is a tool 
to tell a story. It's not the story itself. It's the storytelling that makes. Now it it's very ironic that he said that, and then he made the prequels the way he did, <laughs> which had terrible stories and was all about special effects. Yeah. But yes, I agree with old George Lucas. I, I should say, technically, young George Lucas. George Lucas from the seventies and early eighties, who who said that. I agree one hundred percent. Just like a book, just like anything else, it, a movie is first. It, it is first and foremost about telling a story. All right, you guys probably heard that knock. That was a friend of ours coming to the bar. He thought we were open. Back to what I was saying about a book being, you know, or a, a movie being first and foremost about storytelling. I, I think that's that will forever hold true with me. And as long as the story is good, I can usually overlook bad effects you know mm-hmm. but it, it's hard to overlook bad storytelling bad storytelling with, special, with great special effects that's not true for everybody I understand that so I was while there were aspects of the movie I, I, I really enjoyed you know Fat Thor was amazing you know uh, and a lot of people uh, I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of days ago and she said uh, hated it I, I didn't like it I, I didn't like Fat Thor and I'm like well Actually, that coincides with some of the comics. Yeah. And she's like, really? You know, she just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Thor would ever be plump in the comics, you know? Yeah. Chubby Thor. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, though, one of the things comically I liked about it that I don't, it wasn't supposed to be, it, it wasn't an intentional joke, obviously. You know, throughout the first, well, uh, what's her name? Nebula. Yeah. You know, you know she, she talks all dramatic like this. And uh, I, every time she starts talking like that, I, I think Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, and I just knowing she wasn't going to do it. Obviously, I, I just wanted her to at one point go, uh, "Thor, you fat lard, come get some ham." <laughs> you know, and I yeah. was like, you know, if you say that, I will look over every plot hole that, that's created in this movie, in, in this series. But uh, no, I while I won't go as far to say it was a great movie. I will say that it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. I have seen it multiple times now, and there were great aspects of it. Like, like I said, the special effects were phenomenal, but yeah, it was lacking in other areas. I'm not a purist. I'm a, a, there's a lot of comic book geeks out there who think, you know, it has to be it has to be verbatim the story, and if it's not, we don't like it. What's the point of changing? No, a lot of times there's you know, you, you have to change storylines for stuff like brevity, for a more modern update to a story, sure. you know, unless you're doing a period piece or something. So there are many reasons, legitimate reasons to change storylines, but mm. it still needs to make sense. And within just comics, I mean, you have so many reboots and different Reboots, rewrites. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they've taken... In these movies, one of the things I do like about it is they've taken aspects from the original comic book series you know the Avengers came out in the 60s mm-hmm. they've, they've taken aspects from the original series and mixed them with aspects from the new like reboot uh, volumes and have combined them and I appreciate that because old fans can enjoy it new fans can enjoy it but ultimately it still needs to make logical sense 
Yeah, that's and like we talked a little bit before with just Thanos is if you would take Thanos for what he was in the comics, someone who was just trying to get in Lady Death's pants. Yeah, basically, that's, you know that was his motivation. He he wasn't trying to be noble. He wasn't trying to save half the universe by eliminating the other half. He was simply trying to impress what is basically a female Grim Reaper by. Showing her he has the power to kill half the people in the universe. And that makes sense all the way through the story. But changing his motivation to be something more noble and to, to ultimately save people, mm-hmm. it the story doesn't work. Especially when they came out in, with the information in, in, in game, when he gives the viewers... The insight that he now ha- the stones give him the power to destroy the universe and create a whole new universe, you know, literally, if you can do that, if you can create a whole new universe, why can't you just create twice as many planets, create twice as much food, create create twice as much resources for the for the people who are here mm-hmm. instead of you know that's that's the solution to overpopulation without having to kill anybody mm-hmm. is just create more resources for the people who are here. Hopefully, I didn't ruin the movie for people who really wanted to see it. Now they're going, oh shit, it's gonna suck now. I mean, told you spoilers, okay? Oh no, it is spoilers, but yeah. And we did say that we did preface it by saying this was a spoiler, so nobody can technically get mad at us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, it's 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 things like that that I I just can't. I have a hard time shrugging off and and ignoring it. I'm never gonna ignore it. I might not catch it the first time I see a movie in some cases, but once I see it, I can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. But, again, it, it, in my opinion, it doesn't make it a terrible movie. It just makes it bad mm-hmm. writing, that aspect of the movie. And one of my lacking. biggest things with it was the time travel contradiction that Professor Holt said about time travel and then with Captain America when he went back to the 40s and stayed. Yeah, you know... Yeah, Hulk clearly defines time travel and explains it, uh, you know, telling them that it's not like all these movies you've watched. You know, you can't go into the past and change the future. But, yeah, at the end of the movie, that's exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. Cap goes into the past, and it ends up rewriting their future, or their present, I should say. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, why, why go through that whole explanation that changing the past does not change the present when you're going to just defy it by the end of the movie. It's little, it's things like that. Some people consider it a significant problem. Some people don't. They say it's a minor plot hole, but in the end, it's still a plot hole. And you, if you have enough of them in a movie, you know, you have to start questioning the writers. Yeah. You know, what were these guys thinking? Hell, you know, actually get comic book nerds write this stuff. Yeah. You know? They, yeah. they study it. Uh, my, probably my biggest... Uh, problem with stuff like this is you know on these MCU movies you sit for end credits and you know how many people are involved in making this movie it is just unbelievable astronomical amount of people making these films and you're telling me not a single person <laughs> in the in the, the the production of this film raise their hand like you know this doesn't make any sense whatsoever yeah Come on! Yeah. I don't care if you're the at? I don't care if you're the craft food guy, craft <laughs> food, the caterers. You know, 
I don't, I don't know. There's just so many people involved in this that somebody, somebody should be able to to point out this does not work. Yeah. You know, but it's really. I know the directors don't write the scripts, but you know, a director can have input. The director can point out stuff that this doesn't make sense, or hey, let's let's change the story slightly so that it does make more sense. But you know, I, I think these days. They're just too focused on CGI, yeah. you know, special effects. Making it look really good. And But I, I still say it's not as bad as the <laughs> Star Wars prequels. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. One, Terrible. two, and three, they, they were misses. And I grew up on one. Like, that was, you know, it was on TV all the time when I was coming up. And it's so nostalgic. And just being older and going back and watching it is just like, oh, man. Yeah. This yeah. is not good. Yeah, I was born the year before the original Star Wars movie came out. So I was obviously too young to go see it in the theater Mm -hmm. then, but I I did see um, Empire Strikes Back, and I don't remember seeing Empire Strikes Back in the theater. I was still fairly young, but I do remember seeing Return of the Jedi in the theater. I remember it pretty vividly. And over the course of the next several years, seeing the reruns on TV, it, you know, with streaming and everything, I think people have gotten out of a lot of people don't remember, or a lot of people never knew. You know, the younger generations can't remember yearly reruns. Like I, I remember, Wizard of Oz used to come on like every fall, once a year. You'd have Wizard of Oz playing one night, mm-hmm. and it would all almost always be like a Sunday night on the local station, and it would play, yeah, you know, basically once a year. And my father, who strangely enough hates musicals loves Wizard of, Wizard of Oz which is musical <laughs> and yeah. uh, I remember you know when I when I grew up it's strange because I'm actually atheist but uh, growing up I was forced to go to church every Sunday morning Sunday night and Wednesday night mm-hmm. and I do remember at least one or two years because Wizard of Oz was coming on on Sunday evening that my dad let us Skip church, skip, skip church, stay home to watch Wizard of Oz. And he was happy because he got to watch Wizard of Oz. And I was happy because I didn't have to go to church. <laughs> Everybody was winning. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it was a win-win situation in my household. But uh, just like nowadays, I, I think the only example of that one day a year you got to see something, you get to get to see something is um, Christmas Day with the Christmas Story. Yeah. You know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, how many times are you going to watch Christmas Story this year? How many yeah. times did you watch it last year? You know, everybody knows Christmas Day, whether you like the movie or not, everybody's going to see that movie yeah. at least once. It's nostalgia and you hang yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. But that's how it used to be with a lot of classic movies. You know, back in my childhood when we only had two and three channels growing up before, you know, I was 14 years old before we got cable. Yeah. You know, so, I, yeah, I remember planning nights almost like people do around Game of Thrones now you know we're going to plan parties we're going to plan nights around these television events screw that man <laughs> we we did that with way more mundane TV shows you know yeah. people were planning those nights with with stuff like Gilligan's Island <laughs> you know <laughs> Married with Children it's the finale of Married with Children yeah. hey don't get me wrong I love Married with Children but uh, <laughs> it's not a TV show of epic proportions like Game of Thrones, which I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say I'm not a fan of. I'm just I couldn't get into it. I tried. I'm not one of those people who say, 
I have never watched a single episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> no, I have. I have watched a few episodes. I watched, as a matter of fact, the very first three episodes back to back. I can't really say binge watch. Can you binge watch three episodes? Well, technically it's three hours, so yeah, that, yeah that's kind I of... I guess so. Yeah, that's... But yeah, I couldn't get into it. And so many people say, you know, you got to watch... you got to watch more than three episodes to really understand it. If I have to watch more than three hours or something, uh, guess what? Uh, in-game is three and a half hours, or three hours, two minutes long. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I could understand that in, two, in three hours. So why couldn't... If I can't understand it in three hours... I'm probably not going to understand it. That was my thing, because I've, uh, I've sat down with Game of Thrones two times. Like like you said, when it came out, I think I missed the first episode and caught two and three. Tried to get into it, and then came back later, because, you know, everybody's just raving about it. Oh, yeah. I was like, I still, I'm still not there. Yeah. Still not with it. Nothing against the show, it just ain't my, it ain't my cup of tea. No, I, I can say there's, I have things against the show I, now what I will say is I have nothing against people who do like it you know if you like it that's cool I'm not going to bash you you know as some people will Yeah. no if, if that's your cup of tea that's cool but there are things I don't like about it I think this the story overall story is very shallow you know what I saw was alright this, this week who's killing who who's cheating on who who's having sex with who who's you know like a dramatized and, fantasy and the, <laughs> Yeah, and it's just, wow, these are terrible people. I challenged somebody just a week ago. I said, name me somebody in the series, like an ongoing character, who isn't just total asshole. And they couldn't do it. <laughs> and they're either. like, oh, yeah. No, they, well, they, they thought they did. They named somebody. I'm like, really? And they're still on the show. Oh, no, they died. Exactly. You know, it's the exact same with Walking Dead. If there's one thing The Walking Dead has taught me, when the zombie apocalypse rears its head, I need to be the biggest asshole on the planet because those are the ones who live the longest. Yeah. The good, the actual good people or semi-good people get killed first. Yeah. Do they taste better? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But the the assholes live much longer. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna be a total douche canoe whenever the, <laughs> whenever zombies come along because that's the apparently the way to that's live. That's how you live. You gotta you, be the nigga. Yeah. You you gotta. Yeah, buck up, kid. Let's just be an asshole. And just, I guess, back to uh, Endgame and just the MCU universe, some of the things that they got right. I, I do like that Tony Stark was killed off at the end. I thought that was a great way to ice it off. Yeah, you got to do something with, with him. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is getting old. He's not going to live forever. You, you got to. Not to mention, highest paid guy there. Yeah, yeah. You, strong margin. Right, yeah. You keep you keep raising his salary the way you have been, and yeah, even making a billion dollars per movie, you're not going to be making much profit. But, you know, his we knew his contract was up last movie, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so many of them, their contracts are up. All the Chris's, Chris Pratt, Chris Evans. Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, all their contracts are up. So in the future, if their characters are, are used in movies, it's going to have to be a different actor, and... There are so many people. Now, I, I'm not going to knock Chris Evans' job playing Captain America, but I could see other people playing that. Absolutely. But Tony Stark? Dude, could you really see that many other actors playing Tony Stark? Not right now. No. Not, I mean, there's you, there's not much equivalent. To, I mean, his quirky assholery, I guess you could say. You know, you know, it was hey, perfect. 
Tony Stark is one of those who will survive the zombie apocalypse yeah. for a little while. You know, he's, but he, at least he's a, 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 a funny asshole, I guess. You yeah. know, but uh, and he's smart. You know, he's he's got that kind of charisma. He's got the charisma, and and it's that's not just Tony Stark. That's Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. is uh, very charismatic, and so he. He fits that role very well. I can't think of very many younger actors who will play that role. No, I'm just pulling um, through the list right now. I was thinking, um, oh gosh, was it uh, Hewitt? Maybe. Uh, he played in, uh, I can't think of, Inception. He was also, I thought they were setting him up to be uh, Robin in the last Christian Bale Batman. Oh yeah, that, could, that dude. Uh, yeah. Is it? Maybe Gordon, Gordon Hewitt. Yeah, uh, Joe uh, Levitt. Yeah, Levitt. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, uh, he's kind of got that asshole kind of funny. Yeah, I, I could I could perhaps see that. But then again, you know, I could see if maybe he started off playing Stark, him playing it convincingly, but to try to take over after Robert Downey Jr. Whoever takes over that role in the future, if anybody does. They're going to be compared yeah. to Robert Downey Jr. And that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, yeah. I think if he was the first and only, maybe it would work. But I don't think he could take over after Robert Downey Jr. I think he would be compared to him to the point that, yeah, that it would greatly reduce any benefit he added to the role, if any. That, that's just, man, that's such hard shoes to fill. That's a, that's, that's a hard guy, to, a hard act to follow, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, yeah, I think it's better that they just kill the character off and, you know, introduce Pepper Potts as the next uh, sure. next Iron Man. You know, Or maybe the kid from Iron Man 3. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's conducive to the comics. Well, the same as... Uh, Oh, what's his name? War um, Machine. No, uh, I was I was thinking the new Captain America being um, <laughs> oh, Falcon. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of the, his character's name, his real name, but yeah, Falcon. Just the way he takes over Captain America, you know, it, it's conducive with the comics, and it 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 makes sense. It works. Yeah. But uh, man, no, they would have had a hard. I'll, I'll, if not impossible time filling Robert Downey Jr.'s shoes. So I think it was a smart move to kill him off. It made the movie more more human, you know? Yeah. Having every, have every superhero live. It was so happy-go-lucky all the time. Yeah, I mean, it just... not You can't always win that. That's the whole point of being a superhero. You... If you're indestructible, you're. Are you really a superhero? It's the fact that you are vulnerable and are still going out kicking ass like this. That's what makes it makes a superhero a superhero. Mm-hmm. It is that so, sense of sacrifice, and- right? It's the sense of risk. Yeah, putting your life on the line. If you have, that's one reason I don't like Superman. Yeah. If you can't, I mean, the guy has literally died and come back to life. Yeah. If you can't really be killed. Are you really risking that much? No, you're you know? not. No, not really. I mean... And when he came back in that film, it was like, you might as well go on home, Steppenwolf. Yeah. Well, yeah. Basically. You know, it's one of the reasons... I, I'm a big fan of Captain Marvel. The original Captain Marvel. I did not care for the Captain Marvel movie. And it 
I'm going to say it has nothing to do with the fact that they introduced Carol Danvers as basically the original Captain Marvel. She wasn't. You know, that that slightly bugs me that they didn't give any of Captain Marvel, Marvel, any of his true backstory. But while Marvel was a character in the movie, exactly zero of Marvel's character in the movie was conducive to the comic. They completely rewrote the character. Honestly, I think it would have been better if they had just left Marvel out completely. out completely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, name alone is the only thing that was similar. Yeah. Or the same, I should say. So, yeah, if you're going to completely dismiss a character, don't give them a, a name in the movie. Don't, just don't put them in it at all. You know, one of the things I really liked about Captain Marvel, you know, the original Captain Marvel died of cancer. You know, that in Marvel's very first graphic novel, which was the death of Captain Marvel written by Jim Starlin, it was the first time, the, as far as I know, that the subject matter of cancer, especially cancer killing a superhero, had ever been tackled in comic book history. That's unreal. And it was a very touching story. I've, I've got the graphic novel at home. You know, when you've, when you've got just basically every superhero and even some of the supervillains in the galaxy coming to your, your you know, Captain Marvel's bedside to remember stories and battles they fought with him and stuff like that. That was the whole book, and it, it was... I don't like throwing around the word epic, you know, too much, but... It was. That, that was epic, you know, to, to have... They've always said, if you want to kill off a, Mar- a Marvel superhero, get Jim Starlin to write. You know, he... Well, and going back to Infinity War course in game you know that that's all based on the infinity gauntlet storyline which is also written by jim starlin mm-hmm. phenomenal comic book author writer he um but the fact that he killed off captain marvel the original marvel with cancer that that was pretty ballsy yeah you know because the super um, villains or nothing could get to him it was right cancer. yeah yeah, and, and it almost made the super. It, it makes them more human. Yeah, it, you know, even though technically he wasn't human, he was Cree. Yeah. You know, it, it it humanizes the characters, and you go, man, these makes them more compelling. The the story's more interesting. These guys are susceptible to personal problems. They're not just waking up with a cape on. You know, right. they now have legitimate issues like everybody else. You know, that's one. I think one reason P- Peter Parker. Spider-Man was such a was and still is such a um, relatable guy. Yeah, he was a bit a, an Spider. amazingly popular character. He was relatable. He was just he, a teenager. He was that high school kid with he was angsty. He had his own personal issues, but it, he would overcome those issues and put them to the side to go fight crime and help other people. And you're like, yeah, this isn't some guy who's just got it all. This is an everyday dude who stumbled upon these powers and, and is now using them for good. And that's, that's you know, as you said, he's, he's relatable. Mm-hmm. And that's what made him so kick-ass. Yeah. Or even with just going back to this MCU launching off Iron Man, like just that opening scene. And I don't know how good it is with canon, but just off in a cave in the Middle East and having just to overcome the disposition of that. 
Right. You and know. then going back to the states where you have, well, I am a multimillionaire, billionaire. Right. And now I can implement this technology and make it way better. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> Iron Man is basically Marvel's version of Batman. Yeah. In that, you know, he has no powers of his own. Mm-hmm. It's just, he's a billionaire with uh, tons of technology, and yeah. uh, and he's a genius. Yeah. And you know, you basically summed up Batman. The thing I. While I don't get me wrong, I love Batman. The thing I like about Marvel, Marvel's version, which is Iron Man, more is that, or I should say, what I like about Batman less is all the in Gotham, all the criminals really had to do is figure out who he was. No, just uh, hey, let's uh, conduct our criminal activity during the day. Wow, I mean, you got 24 hours, and only 12 of those are night, so why is everybody, you know, doing their shit at night? Hey, when that's the only time you really have to fear Batman, start doing this shit during the day, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought about that. (laughs) You know, Iron Man, on the other hand, day or night, he's basically a Batman that works whenever he's needed. 24 hour clock. Not just at night, (laughs) you know, in the the shadows. Yeah, never thought about that. You know, don't get me wrong. I love me some Batman. There's been some amazing Batman storylines. Oh, yeah, uh, I do too, man. And I love but, the fact that, you know, world's greatest detective. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, I, have you ever seen Comic Book Man? No. The TV, it, I will say that for the most part, I hate reality TV. That show in particular, though, is, you know, technically reality TV. It's scripted reality. But... um very entertaining. I watch it more for the pop culture, the comic book culture, and stuff like that. But every episode, at least once, they usually start off an episode posing a hypothetical question. If you had superpowers, what superpower would it be? How would you use it? Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there was one is- or one episode where they said, you know, who was were the greatest detectives? The was it the mystery team, the Scooby Doo team, or, or was it Batman and Robin? There were some mysteries that Batman and Robin never actually solved. Scooby-Doo and his pals, you know, solved everything within 30 minutes. They did. You know, there wasn't a crime they didn't solve. So really, you know, hey. Maybe not the world's greatest. Maybe not. It depends on what reality and what universes you're comparing them to. Right, right. (laughs) So, (laughs) but then again, the... You have to also wonder uh, if all those doobies they were smoking were uh, causing hallucinations and the crimes that they were trying to fight weren't really <laughs> actually. No, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I, man, I love Iron Man. He is basically Marvel's Batman, but you, you really couldn't. You, you had to kill off Tony Stark. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. was the man, and he's not going to live forever, so let's stop while we're ahead. Yeah, you know, I wasn't too disappointed in that. A lot of people were. One of my friends, I went to see it. Like I said, I've seen it multiple times. One of my friends was like, "Yeah, I cried when Tony died." I'm like, "Come on, what? Come on, yeah." Like you didn't see that coming. (laughs) I cried when they showed Fat Thor out of happiness. (laughs) (laughs) It's there. What uh? What do you think? What do you make of Black Widow in the film that's coming? Uh, you know, basically like every other MCU movie, I try not to, sometimes it's hard to do or impossible to do, but I try not to have too many opinions before I see it. Yeah. But I will say, if they stick to the comics, and I'm sure they will, they, they have 
to kind of stick. They can't change her storyline now. They've had her in too many movies, mm-hmm. you know. But it's basically a La Femme Nikita storyline. You know, she was raised early age to be, you know... Kicking ass. Yeah, a female spy, infiltrator, uh, you know... Double agent. Almost yeah, double able, triple agent, whatever, however many numbers you want to go deep, levels you want to go deep with agent-wise. Yeah, she is a spy. And, you know, the movie Salt yes, was very Angelina. similar. Yeah, there's been so many storylines that follow the, the same concept. I just think it's, while it is, I will agree it's nice for more females to get lead roles in Marvel movies. I'm not sure that she is the one to give, or that character is the one to get a lead role because it, it, it coincides or it, it mirrors so many other storylines sure. out there. I think it's a concept that, personally, I think has kind of been overdone at this point, and you're just perpetuating that same story. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think it'll be a prequel, or do you think it'll oh, yeah, be definitely. It'll- I mean, it might be some of both, actually. From what little I know about it, there are definitely going to be, if the movie doesn't concentrate as a prequel, it will definitely at least have tons of flashbacks to her childhood. I don't know if you noticed in uh, Endgame, but there was a scene where you, you see she's like in her office and there's ballet shoes. Mm-hmm. That's a nod to her past. Yeah, her her yeah her training and stuff and school for female assassins <laughs> and you know, spies and ballet was one of the things they made them do. You know, I guess make them more nimble or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I, it's definitely going to have, if it's not a straight-up prequel, I'm sure it will be partially an origin story. Mm-hmm. It might just be through flashbacks. It might be the entire movie. I, that I don't know. If there are trailers out there that represent that better, I haven't seen them yet. But once again, just like just like Endgame, I didn't need to see a trailer. Yeah. To, to know I was going to go see it. Yeah. So I'm like, why look it up? Yeah. I'm going to be I'm, there. I'm going to be there. Yeah. You're going to check as, it out. You know, I, I might as well let it all surprise me. Yeah. Instead of, you know, knowing what's coming. So. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad they are bringing more females into the MCU. There were some pretty kick-ass um, female characters in Marvel Universe. But, you know, also, I do get slightly perturbed when people... For instance, when Wonder Woman came out, oh, they were like, a, a, there's finally a, a lead female superhero. Uh, they were lead female superheroes before that. X-Men. Mm-hmm. The original X-Men revolved around Rogue. Yeah, Rogue. You know, that, mov- that movie started with Rogue getting her powers, going through puberty, acquiring her powers, going out on the road hitchhiking. She runs into into Wolverine. She goes to, gets adopted into the... Xavier School then gets kidnapped by Magneto and so she's the focal point of the movie she's yeah. the main character and you had like Phoenix you had tons and X you, you had tons you of strong female characters yeah. so but the fact that she was the lead she might not have been the most famous character in comics she may not have been the most famous actress or actor in the movie but the movie definitely revolved around her story but going back before that, you know, you had Tank Girl and stuff. So I, I just think, I, I am glad there's more uh, diversity 
mm-hmm. in the MCU. I'm glad for that. I just people, wish people would recognize the fact that Wonder Woman isn't the very first. Right. You know, it, it's not to say uh, I, I didn't want Wonder Woman to happen. You know, it's still awesome. But I guess my biggest disappointment as a whole with Marvel Cinematic Universe is the fact that their movies are so formulaic. In almost every movie, especially origin movies, the villain has to be almost a direct analog of the good guy. Look at the first Iron Man. He fought Iron Monger, yeah. who was another guy dressed in a suit, yeah. who was powerless. Look at um, Captain America. Who did he fight? A bad guy that took the same serum as him and had the reverse effects. Yeah. Look at the Edward Norton Hulk movie. Who does he fight? Abomination, who took the same mm-hmm. gamma radiation treatments or that turned him into the Hulk. Now Number he's... Two, three dogs before. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, so it's... Um, yeah, every movie, almost, it's it's like we have to... The villain has to be, every origin story anyway, pretty much, the villain has to be an analog of the hero. That's so formulaic. It's so overdone. And you know what? It's like the old saying goes, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that holds true here a bit, you know, because fans still seem to be enjoying it. But I, I think eventually, I'm getting tired of it, and I think others will eventually too. Yeah. They'll start saying, hey, <laughs> let, let's do something different. I love the fact that, uh, you know, they're talking about the uh, upcoming Spawn movie. I love the fact that, from what I've heard, it's supposed to be filmed from the perspective of what, what were the detectives' names? Uh, Twitch and Sam and Twitch. Yeah. The two detectives that followed the murderous aftermath of you know Spawn's rampages, and they're basically trying to figure out these murders. You know who's killing all these crime bosses and stuff. Uh, general bad guys. This movie is supposed to focus more on them not spawn himself and I think that's a that's brilliant that's very interesting yeah that's a a brilliant you know perspective I like that I like that concept I, I hope that the execution is as great as the concept uh, that'll we'll soon see hopefully mm-hmm. but yeah it's a break from the norm yeah you know right now it's like Disney has established sort of a status quo and it's like Hey, let's just, just keep, keep going with that. Yeah. Um, it works. It I would, works. I would like to see them branch out and be more adventurous. But, you know, maybe they'll be forced to do it eventually. I don't see it happening yeah. in the next few years, though. Yeah. And we're so. phase four on this, and then they'll figure out if they're going to reboot it again or Absolutely. whatever they'll do. And, of course, you have uh, the new Hellboy that just came out. A lot of people hated it. And when you compare it to strictly to the Guillermo del Toro movies yeah I mean it's different so but it, in, in some ways it's actually more accurate to the comic book than del Toro's version and so if you just watch it take with, it at face with, value yeah take it at face value don't go in with preconceived notions don't compare it to, this isn't a sequel it's a reboot don't compare it to the original and if you do that you know this had more horror elements to it it, mm-hmm. it was rated R mm-hmm. I personally like that yeah and we didn't even I, talk I about, like, Disney's rated R or Marvel's, you know, with Logan or Deadpool's right. 
And I right, thought those right. were just phenomenal films. Absolutely. Um, and it was a good it was a good change. Who doesn't like Deadpool? That's one of those characters. I'm I'm really glad they didn't change for the screen. And Ryan Reynolds nailed yeah, it. Okay, actually, <laughs> Fox did change the original. You know, the in was it Wolverine Origins? They drastically changed. Deadpool. Oh my or his god, mouth that was, was horrible. Yeah. Mouth was sewn shut. Mm-hmm. He had he had the single katana blades that came out of his arms instead of having actual swords. Yeah, just every he had but laser in the vision. Scene, he cleaned that up. <laughs> yeah. You remember that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm just gotta clean the timeline up. Just a touch. right. Yeah, he kills off the old. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So the it, but you know the fact that Fox was okay with them doing that. You know, I'm like, okay, you guys know you screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, uh, I'm glad they really revamped his character and did it justice. I think Ryan Reynolds is the perfect actor for it. In fact, I thought that whenever uh, the the he was announced being in Wolverine Origins, I'm like, oh, dude, yeah. Ryan Reynolds playing that, that he is, yeah, he's the perfect character. Yeah. And then they just screwed up the whole story. So yeah, but yeah, if you don't love the or at least like the Deadpool movies, there's probably something wrong with you, and uh, you're not going to enjoy any of this conversation whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> so much of what they've done recently, I've been very on the fence about. You know, just like with in-game aspects, I love about it. Aspects I really don't love about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to say definitively. In most of the movies, whether I, I just absolutely love it or absolutely hate it, most of them are just they're they're so such complex movies. I just have to say I love this aspect of it. I hated this hate aspect this. of it. Uh, very few of them can I just say I overall loved it or hated it, and it it holds true with Endgame as well. You yeah. know, you're just gonna have to go in and I guess make up your own mind. For you yourself. know, yeah. But all three hours and two minutes. All three it. hours and two minutes. You got to throw that two minutes in there. You can't forget about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Um, got to get that what that three thousand even or whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of film. But at least there's a lot of story too. I, you know, Lord of the Rings is one of those storylines. I go, you know, they could have, they could have done easily done the first Lord of the Rings trilogy in one three-hour movie. And they could done with it, and or they could have done every book in two films. Yeah, and still not run out because yeah. Fellowship of the Ring was my favorite of the books, and they didn't even go to some of my favorite places. Right, they didn't. Tom Bombadil wasn't mentioned, which was probably best left out because, like, the chapters that he's mentioning, he had two chapters in Fellowship of the Ring. He had, like, when you meet him, you don't really understand him, and when he leads them out of those woods. You have no idea what he is because he's like this guy has he talks to trees and they listen. Yeah. What is he? And you know you've obviously read more more Lord of the Rings than I have. I could not get super far into him because Tolkien is so descriptive. Yeah. That I unfortunately I have ADD. I wasn't diagnosed with it until I was 32, 31 and 32. So you know growing up with it it was a challenge, especially not knowing what it was. What you it know? was, yeah. But, yeah, trying to read his stuff and him describing footsteps, 
yeah. and foliage and stuff like that yeah. in a forest for pages at a time. Man, that, that, there were chapters in that book that could have been just left out. Absolutely, like uh, that's one of my annual readers. I read yeah. Lord of the Rings annually, right? And I have chapters marked that I don't even read. <laughs> right, right. Because they're, they're not relevant to the story. Exactly. But the movies, there's so much running, <laughs> so much running. Yeah, it's like okay, can we just skip? Yeah. You know, if you just fast forward through all the running in the first trilogy, yeah, you would cut that that nine hour trilogy down to about. Three hours. Three, maybe four hours. You yeah. could, definitely. <laughs> yeah. um, you could just go all the major battles. And I never understood why Gimli was always a few paces behind him. Oh, he should be way behind. Well, well, the thing is, people are like, oh, well, he was slower. Well, obviously, he's not slower. If you're traveling, if you're driving behind another car, and you're maintaining the same distance the whole time, you're obviously traveling as fast as them. Yeah. You're not going slower. Yeah. So just because he's 20 yards behind the entire time, guess what? He's traveling at the exact same yeah. speed as you. He's just behind. So why is he behind? Yeah. You know, why can't he be right beside you traveling at the same speed as you? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? That's true. If you're going like, to you make him out being slow. a dwarf and a slower, then you make gotta, him fall behind. Yeah, you got to do tortoise in the hair. You know, you got to stop for a little yeah. while, make a campfire, yeah. and four hours later he shows up. <gasps> okay, it's time to go again. <laughs> that would have been entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, yeah. We ate. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Speed up, bastard. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I'm like, you guys have been running for six days and he's been the same twenty paces behind you. That doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> just just yeah. catch up yeah. and stay there. Yeah. And that's kind of another problem I have is, is movies have just insistently gotten have gotten so long. It's almost like you know, with Star Wars, with Lord of the Rings, with mm-hmm. Almost all of your fantasy, fantasy movies, it's like, it's not going to be good if it's only an hour and a half. Luckily, Deadpool kind of proves those wrong, you know? Yeah. And I wish they made shorter ones like that. I mean, sometimes it's great to have a long movie, but you can tell some of these are just long just for the sake of being, being long. That, that was Lord of the Rings yeah. to me, you know? Which I think Peter Jackson, like, he'll be infamous for that, for making movies yes. too longer than they have to be. Yeah. But I, same with that, uh, the Hobbit. He turned that into a trilogy. Yeah, you know, one book. That's the children's story. Yeah, and there was a cartoon back in late '80s, early '90s that captured the book perfectly and right. had done it in 45 minutes. That's right. Perfect storm. I I had seen that several times. I I, I got to be honest though, I never really cared for it, but I did see it several times growing up. That's one of the main things I look at now when I go to the movies. Like, uh, I'm guilty right now of just going to see thrillers. Like, uh, I went and watched uh, Strangers 2, and then when the new Halloween come out, went and caught that, and I'll catch the new It when it drops. But what, yeah. I, what I like about those films is you can do it in an hour and a half or, le- or lower. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mo- you know, and most it's a, of... And it's boom, 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 boom. Right. Because yeah, I got that ADD aspect, too. It's like, yeah. let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, a lot of horror stuff, if it's based on a, a written story, a lot of it is um, short stories. You know, some of uh, uh, Stephen King's best works were short stories. Mm-hmm. And they, there's been a lot of movie adaptations based on his short stories, and you know, that were good. And... Yeah, you don't have to have a two, three-hour-long horror movie. I I personally am not a big slasher movie fan. I just, I don't know. I can't get into the concept, I guess, the, yeah. the logic behind it. You know, yeah. there's 
you have no clue what the motivation of Jason Voorhees is. Like, you know, okay, yeah. There, there was the, you understand kind of what made him go crazy. Yeah. But really. Not that crazy. Oh, this period of time, you know, that uh, that explanation worked for one or two movies. Yeah. You know, that's about it. I did just recently see, what, what's the movie um, with, oh man, I can't even think of his name. This is. Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid. Intruder. Yeah. Intruder. Yeah. I just recently saw that. And those, those type of movies I, I do really enjoy. I won't say it's a perfectly unique concept. It's sort of fitting. You know, I'm, I'm not going to give away any spoilers on this because I'm sure there's people still want to see it. But it does fit with some of the things that's come up in news in recent years, you know, mm-hmm. that, that have happened. It really and, now, and it's like, wow, it really makes you think and go, that's conceivable yeah you know and that's what i find to be most scary not just jump scares to me the whole okay he, you round a corner and there's somebody with a big yeah. blade or an axe and now i need to fall and like twist my ankle to where oh, i'm prepared right. to run right you know but yeah jump scares don't really do it for me what 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 i find the most frightening is when the the situation's plausible Mm-hmm. Or you know, somewhat possible. That's why I like Strangers and the second one. Yeah, was okay. The motive is because you were home, but mm-hmm. I live like at some of them homes, like Kennedy, where right. I where I live. That is that kind of house, right? And that is completely plausible for someone just to pull up in your driveway and just knock on the door and be like, "Sure, what's up? I'm here for the party." Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and those those are ones that I find like truly frightening and truly, uh, you know, good storytelling. I'm not saying they don't even have to be super unique, but the stories make sense. There's there's usually some kind of motivation uh, for the killer when there when there's no motivation, mm-hmm. known motivation for the guy killing. It's, it's just it becomes so two dimensional. I have a hard time enjoying it. Once again, just like uh, Game of Thrones, if you're tight, I'm not going to knock people who enjoy it. It's just, it's not me. It's not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want something a little more, I guess, cerebral, you know. Yeah. I want something that I can relate to. Uh, and it is fun to be able to relate to a bad guy, you know. That's what makes the Joker such an awesome character. Yeah. You know. But like, I, don't, I don't want it to be a Thanos thing. No, not because, no, I, not because of nobility. Well, yeah. Once again, as long it, it still has to make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I would be okay with making Thanos's uh, quest more noble, but it still has to make sense. And and because it didn't, no, let's let's yeah. not go there. But the Joker, yes, yeah, the Joker. You know, it, it awesome character, and it's I, I'm really excited for this. Uh, to see the new Joker movie coming out, you know, because it it does, Joaquin. yeah, it does give you that insight of, you know, who the Joker is and what. Of course, it it I guess it's supposed to be a an alternate reality or whatever because I don't know. There's been a couple different backstories for the Joker, mm-hmm. obviously. So, um, oh yeah, Batman and Joker. Oh, what are they like? Fifties or older? No, older, older. Like thirties? Uh, um, thirty-nine, I believe. Thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Yeah, some of the oldest. And the thing, was, like in, in movies right now, if and I get it, I enjoyed Heath Ledger's too, but like 
nobody really gave the gangster Lido version of Joker a chance. I don't know if he needed a chance. I just hope that people give Joaquin and they stop looking at Heath Ledger's Joker as the Joker. Yeah, I you know Heath Ledger, Ledger had a great Joker. That, he did. It, it's that can't be denied. But I don't think he's the end all be all. I think the reason Leto didn't get the recognition is because, frankly, I don't think he deserved it. He went all kind of psychotic with the uh, method acting, you know, sending, was like, used condoms and dead cats and stuff in the mail to his co-actors. Come on, dude. You know, do you really have to go there to play a role? Let's tone it down. But at the same time, I can't say it was all Leto's fault. One, they built up a tremendous amount of hype around this character that fell short. And it wasn't even that included that much in the film. No, it wasn't. He wasn't. And what was there wasn't as much Joker as it was a pimp. I mean, you just turned Joker into a pimp. He yeah. had a grill, dude. Yeah. He's a gangster. Yeah. A pimp. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You, you just defiled one of the most iconic characters in comic book history, one of the most iconic villains in comic book history, you have spat on that, and we're supposed to take it lightly? You know, I can't say it's all Jared Leto's fault. It was the writing, it was the yeah. producers, it, it was everything. Yeah. It was a train wreck. Now, had had he been cast as some brand new villain, and that been his role, it might have been awesome. Mm-hmm. But calling that character the Choker... Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's sacrilegious, you know. Yeah. Kind of. Now that that being said, I do think what I've seen of Joaquin Phoenix's makeup in this one is very cheesy. It's kind of, I guess, underwhelming would be the word I would use for that. Very campy, but that's still. Why I've heard it for at, a lot. at least he's not a pimp. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is basically yeah. what Leto's yeah. uh, Joker was. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't. There was a lot surrounding. Jared's Joker that did it injustice partially was his method acting to get into character for such a small role you know you're only in the movie for 10 minutes minutes tops yeah why why are you sending dead animals and shit to your your co-stars you know dude get a grip (laughs) and supposedly man they had enough film of him and Harley Quinn to do like a whole movie by itself and I'm glad that never saw a lot of that well you know up until a few months ago they were planning on coming out with a Joker movie with also with Jared Leto and it was supposed to release around the same time as the Joaquin Phoenix one and apparently they pumped the brakes on that that's a good idea I'm glad I'm glad yeah Uh, I saw things on the line where like Jared Leto's laying in what looks like a, maybe a hotel room with knives in a circle around him and just like laughing or whatever. Yeah, I'm going, wow. I can't, I would not be able to deal with a whole movie with this Joker. Mm-mm. I don't even care about this particular Joker's backstory. Yeah. You know, one of the most popular Batman comics or graphic novels actually was The Killing Joke. Which is yes. kind of the origin of Joker, and uh, like I said, you know, the, the movies don't have to follow it verbatim. You know, they're they're kind of foregoing that original story and call it a different universe or whatever. As long as the Joaquin Phoenix Joker storyline makes sense, I'll be okay with it probably. Um, and it seems to, from what I've seen in the in the previews, it looks like it's probably going to be pretty well written. 
again, I'm not going to... Someone sent those previews to me in an email. I'm not going to go out and just be like, oh, i got to find all the the trailers before I go see the movie. I already know I'm going to see it yeah. when it comes out. Right. So, uh, it is what it is. And you ready to walk it out the door? Sure. Did you want to play a tune? Yeah, if we got time for one, I'll play one. Yeah. Got cool. Time. You know, I told you most of what I do uh, when I play music is um, cover songs. This is one that I did write. It's one of the very, I'd say probably the third or fourth song that I wrote of my own. And it happens to be my mother's favorite song of mine. Not my favorite, but it's definitely hers. And since this is the day after Mother's Day, might as well do that. Uh, It's called uh, This Is Bad.
Right on. Wow, it's been an episode of man. Thank you so much for sitting in with me. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I, you know, any any other time you want me in there, just uh, I love doing stuff like this. Great. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.